0: So as Leon says, you know, I've had the privilege of, of leading um, Face Trust for nearly 15 years now. And if you're looking at me, then I, yes, I did come to this job as a child. And um, they take them young, you know. So ne- never disclude yourself from any role in this, in Life Central, because we'll take them young. And, uh, and it's been such an incredible journey. We work with children and young people. We support them through some of the most difficult times of their life. And I just want to set a background for you about the world in which Phase works. And I'd like to tell you these are going to be uplifting statistics that come up on the screen. They're not, but what you have to, what you have to look through is a lens of the actually... Jesus wants to meet every single one of these people that are going to come up on these screens right now. So there are around 67,900 children, young people aged 0 to 18 in the borough in which we live, which is Dudley. So that's 22% of the total population falls within that age bracket. And the beautiful thing is that the majority of those people will receive the care and the nurture and the love and support they need from their own family and their extended family networks. And we thank God for that this morning. But for those of them that don't, this is a little window into their world. So there were over 13,000 contacts with children's services. I think these statistics are right up to the end of uh, April, March 2018. I think 13,000 contacts with children's services. 3,798 of them needed input by social care. That means that nearly a third of all those contacts with children's services needed some kind of safeguarding help. And of these concerns, the top concern for those children and young people for referral was neglect was neglect at the time of this statistics there were 662 children being looked after by our local authority you know an average of 22 children reported missing to the police every month in Abera there's over 600 households in Dudley that, that children and young people are regularly witnessing incidents of domestic abuse 99 young people that were classed as being at risk of child sexual exploitation. And I could go on and on about mental health challenges, um, drug and alcohol dependency, um, incidents, growing incidents of those being involved in gun and knife crimes. And this is the world in which Trust sits. That's where we sit. And we believe, you know, that every single child and young person has value. Whether they believe it or not, part of our job is to show them that truth. Show them that truth. And so it's great that we can have a day where we can celebrate our 20th anniversary. As that means for 20 years, there's been opportunities where children and young people's lives have been impacted by that truth and changed majority for the better by the work that Faze has done. And as you've seen over 17,000 of them. And for the last few weeks we've been looking at in this series, haven't we, about living your best life and what that means, other than what the media portrays it as is, are you regularly drinking that horribly green smoothie that is supposed to be so good to you? Who puts kale in a drink? just just came to me. Does anybody put kale in their drinks? Is somebody going to be here who has kale? There is, in this, in this room, there's going to be at least one person. Or you go on holiday and you have picturesque views and you show the best view from your balcony. Or those of us that um, like to post when you're in the gym because apparently you're living life to the full then. That's a beautiful picture. I would never show myself in the gym for obvious reasons. But the, but the tips on how to live your best life are often focused around ourselves, aren't they? So about what benefits me? What's good for me? What's going to be enrich my life. But I think, you know, that truly living our best life will always, always involve other people. Always involve other people. Which is why we're talking today about living beyond ourselves. And I came across an article recently where um, somebody was asked about what people want to be remembered for the most. And you know what the top answers were? It wasn't the best holiday. It wasn't the girl who always had quinoa for lunch, although I'm not dissing quinoa because I do love a bit of quinoa. Um, But the guy said, I want to be remembered as a person who always helps others, who has made a difference in my world. And why is that? Because as a human being, our biggest needs are connection and contribution. Connection and contribution. And you know, Jesus knew and talked about those things to a great beautiful graceful level better than anyone and before we dive into what what I think this looks like for us as a community we're going to see a video now about how um, living beyond yourself works out in practice for a member of our team face trust so this is Charlene's story
1: My name is Charlene, I am the Exploitation Lead Worker at FaZe Trust um, and I've been here now for 10 years. 10 years ago I stumbled across FaZe really, trying to look for a placement at uni. Um, I contacted a few different people, they couldn't help me but someone suggested FaZe Trust. I remember my first meeting with Vicky to get to know each other a little bit and to see if that was what they could offer. We met in Wetherspoons in Halesowen, Owen and I remember her saying to me, you know, Faith is a faith-based organisation, is that okay with you? Um, I didn't really know what that meant, if I'm perfectly honest. I was quite open-minded about faith, I believed in God, but I didn't really know what it meant to be a Christian in that sense. So working with Faze, I soon um, got to know what that meant to them. They didn't look down on me for living any differently. At the time I um, had dropped out of my first uni course, I had a toddler, I was living with my boyfriend. But they didn't make me feel that that meant I wasn't good enough to work with them. Instead, they were open about their faith, what that meant to them. But more importantly, they demonstrated to me what that meant and the work that they did. So FaZe would work with some of the most vulnerable young people in the borough, and not only walked with them, but they truly loved them and wanted the best for them. No matter how difficult they were, and even if they didn't agree with what they were doing at that time. So through this journey with FaZe, Um, Several people invited me to different events at church. It wasn't that I didn't want to go. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, I was worried that I didn't know enough to be a Christian. I didn't know enough about the Bible, or I knew that I wasn't living in the way that I was expected to. But I gave in. I went to an evening event um, in March 2011. And during that evening, I couldn't think of any reason at all to say, you know, to say no. I had every reason to say yes to God. And looking back in that moment, I can see how my life's changed and that night was incredible. But really what brought me to God was the relationships that I built with FaZe and with volunteers that I'd met, you know, that were going to Zion at the time. It now really shows me how I do the work that I do with FaZe. I work with um, young people that are still the most vulnerable in the borough. Faye's work with exploited young people. Um, a lot of the people that I work with are, are at risk of or are being exploited sexually. I don't have the chance to sit with them and share the gospel or read out Bible studies and, and, and quotes to them about how to change their life or even pray with them unless I'm invited to. But what I can do is tell them what God wants to tell them and that is that they are loved, that they are worthy, that they are beautifully made, um, no matter how they're taught that in a different way. you know. These are some of the young people that are abused by who they see are people much more powerful than them. I just hope that at some point during their journey in the future, They will realise that it's God that's changed their life. I don't change it, God just gives me the patience and the strength to work with those young people. So, you know, moving on in terms of my journey, I have been baptised at then Zion, um, married my now husband, who was my boyfriend then, and family is part of Faze and Life Central.
0: What an awesome story. You know, and I've loved this weekend, but I have to say for me, that that is just a real, real, unexpected really, touch of God reminding me, do you know what? It's really important what you're doing, but it's more important how you're being. You know? And and that as part of a team, we are really committed to each other, and passionately committed to the cause of Jesus Christ, through the work that we do, and to each other, and and I think it's really important that, that we understand why it's so important that we live and love beyond ourselves, and so we're going to look at a really famous story this morning, and and about the Good Samaritan. And before you switch off and say, oh, Jane, I've heard 600 talks about this and, and I could come and do it. Please stick with me because there's a twist in this that I really think it's important that God wants to see. And so it's found in Luke 10. The Bible verses is going to come up on the screen and we're going to track through the story. We're going to pull out what does God really want us to do? What can he teach us this morning about living in 21st century England, about living and loving beyond ourselves? So On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think this guy is asking one of the most important, probably the most asked question that we could ever be asked as a Christian. What he's asking is, how do you know if you're going to heaven? How do I know if I'm going to heaven? And uh, and secondly, he's not really being really sincere because as in a few of Jesus' interactions with people, this is another one of those tests that comes along. And so the story goes on. And the, and, um, the guy said, so Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. You know this is a big ask, isn't it? If you break this down, this is a huge ask. To love God supremely, supremely. To make him the highest passion in your heart above everything and anyone else. Is He the first person you think about when you get up and the last person you think about before you shut your eyes. You should care more about pleasing him, Jane, than anything else to anyone else. That is around in your life. And not all, and love everybody else as you love yourself. And what does what does that look like? Well, that's basically I need to care about your needs as much as I care about my own. I need to be happy when you're happy. I need to be worrying when you're worrying. I need to be crying when you're crying. I need to hurt just as much as you are. And this guy had a couple of dilemmas with this conversation. Here's his dilemma number one. Dilemma number one is this. How do you command that? How do you command love? Because love is the kind of thing that you um, either do naturally or you don't, isn't it? You know, um, if I already love something, I don't need to be commanded by you to love it. So, for example, (laughs) I love dipping bread in yogurt. Love it, that's my top thing, it is my top thing. It's a comfort thing before you judge me too harshly. You know, my mom did feed me other stuff. It wasn't just life in Netherton. Um, but, you know, nothing like a good bit of bread and butter and a yogurt. Um, but I love Chinese banquets. And I love sleep. Oh, man, I love sleep. Um, beautifully love sleep. I love looking after all my godsons. I've got five of them. I love looking after all of them. Um, I love my husband. He wrote that in. Um... <laughs> But I do these things instinctively. I I don't have to pull them up or work it up. But if I don't love something, no command's ever going to change that. I hate peanut butter. I hate Marmite. Nothing you say is going to convince me otherwise. And if you made me a peanut butter sandwich, you might persuade me to take a nibble. You know? You might persuade me to take a little bit of a bite for some reason. But no amount of commands from you is going to make me love it. So we've got a dilemma here. We've got a dilemma here. And the story goes on. But he wanted to justify himself. Justice is important. Justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I'm really feeling for this guy now. I'm really feeling for him now. He's really feeling the heat and the weight of this conversation, which he's probably wishing he'd never started it, to be honest. You ever had those conversations where you wish he'd never started them? Loads of times I have this. And he's trying to find, this is what we do, he's trying to find a framework or a way in which he can meet that requirement. That's what he's trying to do. And remember at this point, this guy's primary concern is all about himself. He's not even looking at anybody else. It's how can I, how can I, how can I? Here's dilemma number two. How do I earn this? If you think you have to earn your way to heaven, then everything you do is actually operating from a self interest perspective. If I think I have to earn this, what I'm doing is I am loving you for the sole reason for you to love me. I am loving you for the sole reason. For you to love me. And this is the whole point of Jesus' life right here. We can never ever earn our way to heaven. Jesus had to come to earth and earn it for us. So the man is now waiting to hear Jesus' response to this clever question he thinks he's asked. And Jesus does what he often does. He starts to tell a story that subtly shifts the question. I really wish I had this skill. He subtly shifts the question. And in the process, he's going to show us this morning what it means to love be- and live beyond ourselves and how we can develop the ability to do that. So he goes into this story, the famous story. And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, when it says he was going down, that's no exaggeration." that was literal. That was a 17-mile journey. That was no trip to the shops. That was a 17-mile journey which dropped down 3,000 feet. And he had all these rocky outcrops and places for robbers to hide. So what happens? A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, you know, I've been really hard on this guy for years. I've been really hard on him. I've always pictured him like, um, like stepping over the bleeding man in the street on his way to Mary Hill. It's like, I've got to get there, so I'm really sorry, mate, you're in my way, but I'm, you know, the next sale's on, I've got to get there. It's, um, and, and that's how I've, I've listened to it and, and interpreted it. But you know, the people that Jesus was speaking to would have immediately recognized a few things that made what this priest did not acceptable, but understandable, Okay. So the Jericho Road was a really dangerous path. It had a nickname, actually. It was called the Pass of Blood. And if you were traveling down that road, you didn't stop for anyone. They'd nick your cartwheels off. It just, you wouldn't stop. Okay? you just keep going right to where your destination was. And the priest in this story was returning from Jerusalem. And he'd been there to purify himself so he could go back to his own village and perform the duties he was being asked to perform. And according to Jewish law, if you touched a man who had died after you'd been purified, you had to go back to the temple and do the whole rigmarole over again. That would be another seven days when he wouldn't be doing the job that he felt God had called him to do. Here's the point. It would have been a really huge, huge inconvenience and dangerous and expensive for the priest to help that guy make this trip again make this trip again so the priest passes by and so to a Levite when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side now these were like priests but not full priests they were like your PCSO to your policeman that's what these guys were so and here's the point with this dude on this road you can see about three to four miles ahead of you so it could be possible that he had seen what the priest had done He had seen the priest pass by on the other side and thought, do you know what, if he does it and he's a fully blown priest, it's not going to be great for me to stop and help this guy. I'm going to do exactly what I've seen you do. He would be just following his leader. Now, this really spoke to me. I'd not seen this before. And I felt God say to me, Jane, you know, if you've got positions of authority or responsibility, always remember, people will follow what you do. People will follow what you do. So verse 33 goes on. But a Samaritan, as as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now it's important it was a Samaritan for many reasons. They were the sworn enemies of Jews. And uh, there's quite a lot of um, racial bitterness and violence between these two groups of people. You know, to a Jew, the only good Samaritan was a dead one was a dead one. Even sharing bread with them would be like a Jewish man having to eat pork. It was just such a no-no. It wouldn't even be entertained in their thinking. But Samaritans weren't the greatest either, you know. So don't think it was all one-sided. These guys, before the great festivals happened, used to go around nicking pigs and they'd catapult them over the walls into the temple so that when the Jewish people went in to, to offer their sacrifices, there'd be loads of pork in there. How bad's that? And we think kids today are bad. Nick some pigs. Don't nick some pigs. Don't nick some pigs. Let's read the story. So he went in and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on, on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he... Took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Do you notice the eyes there? He used his own money. He left the account open. It's like an open chequebook. When I come back, I will reimburse you, I will pay. I will make good. And the expert replies, the one who had mercy on him, he can't even say the word Samaritan. He can't even say it. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So you know, this story illustrates what it means to live beyond ourselves. doesn't actually explain why, why we should do it. So what does it mean? Who do we help? Anyone we see in need. You know, the Samaritan and the Jew couldn't have had any less in common. To meet the need, that guy had to cross incredible social barriers. Incredible social barriers. I don't fully understand them. Some of you in this room may have had to overcome incredible social barriers yourself. It's natural to help those who are like us, isn't it? People we identify with. But Jesus teaches us that we're to help those, especially those with whom I have less in common than anybody. It could be somebody I barely know. It could be people who don't believe the same things I do. It could be that boss at work. It could be the refugee who may have broken every law to get here. It's anybody. When do we help? When do we help? Whenever we see the need. And this is hard, isn't it? Because if I'm really honest with you, if I'm truly honest with you, I can sometimes be not in the mood. Let me tell you, Tuesday night after the Albion played the Villa, I was not in the mood to help any Villa fan. If I'd, I'd have, I wouldn't be in the mood. You haven't caught me in the right frame of mind, God. I'm not thinking holy thoughts. I'm not, you know, I'm not actually in a position. But isn't that the very time when I should be? when I should be? Do you know, the Samaritan would have had every reason not, not to help this guy and to believe this man deserved his suffering. Yet there's mercy. Do you know, the fact that I and my brothers were born into a family with two loving parents that um, made sure we went to school, made sure we had three meals a day. We didn't have everything we wanted, but we had everything we needed. That was due to nothing I did. I didn't earn that. That was a gift of grace. Here's the challenge. The children that find themselves not experiencing those gifts did not do anything to be born there either. Either. This is the world they have found themselves in. So why do we find ourselves isolating ourselves off from certain people? Maybe they don't live in the right postcode. Maybe one of the things we look at is what friends our children are and where they live and where they're from. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Now, I'm not saying that we should be careless in how we care for people. Listen very carefully to what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we should love and live in a way that fosters their dependency on us or ignores their own family structure. Listen, we need to respect that and honor that and value that. But the point is we have to do something. We have to do something. We cannot just pass by. And if you want another verse to to confirm that, here's one from Proverbs 3, 27 that says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. When it's in your power to act. If we have the opportunity to act, I'm suggesting to you this morning, we have the responsibility to act. So how much? In a way that takes their burden onto you. In order to help, that Samaritan put himself at great personal risk and used his own money. And Galatians 6 verse 2 talks about that we should bear one another's burdens. I should get involved to a point that burdens me. And C.S. Lewis said this great quote and it was this, Give more than you think you can spare until it pains you. I don't like that. I don't like pain. But I can be like the priest and the Levite too often. I'm on my way to something. I'm reading my Bible. I'm tithing. I'm volunteering. I'm attending my connect group. I'm doing all of those things and they're great to do and they're honourable and important. But if I look at my life, how much am I really giving myself away? If I want to really evaluate my walk with Jesus, I have to be really honest and transparent with myself and say, how much of my resource and my time is poured out for others? And that's why Jesus puts this interesting twist on this story. Why have a Samaritan be the hero? Have you ever thought that? Why have a Samaritan be the hero? Why not tell the story in a way in which the lawyer can identify with and connect with so that he understands how he can offer help? Why not say the priest and then the Levite and then this really good Jewish guy came along and did everything so perfectly and well and the lawyer would go, I can do that. I get that, I can do that. As soon as Jesus threw the Samaritan in the story, it would have blown that guy's brains away. He would not have been able to connect with that at all and would have struggled. Would have struggled. Here's why maybe Jesus did that. What if the person that I and you are supposed to identify with most in this story is not the priest, is not the Levite, isn't even being the good Samaritan. It's the guy bleeding on the side of the road. And what if someone who had every reason to hate me and be my enemy, somebody who had no reason to like me even, put themselves in danger to help me? To help me. What if the really good Samaritan is Jesus himself? Doesn't that spin the story? Who put himself in the path of danger, took upon himself the suffering that I should have had, and poured out his resource for me. And Jesus is asking that man, what if you were bleeding to death, mate, on the side of the road, and your only hope was an act of grace from somebody who didn't owe you anything? Didn't owe you a bean. After you've been rescued like that, Mr. Lawyer, what would your life look like? You know, Jesus isn't trying to give this bright lawyer a whole set of new rules to live by, he's trying to give him a completely new reality. And if I understand Jesus' life right, I'm the one saved by radical grace by a God who had every right to feel like my enemy. And when I embrace that truth and I take that in and I allow it and I absorb it and I sit in it and I marinate in it, I then can become a giver of that radical grace. It's not so much an action I choose, it should be an emotion I struggle to control. And the word that Jesus used for what the Samaritan felt is the Greek word "splagma," and we translate that as compassion, and that's a great word, but it's not the true essence of the word. The truest translation is this, pity from your deepest soul. Pity from your deepest soul. You know, the Samaritan saw beyond what lay in front of him. What lay in front of him was a guy beaten up to the point of death. It would have been so easy, just like the priest and the Levite, to pass by, but he doesn't. He saw what could be. He saw a man who could be well, who could be saved, who could go on to live a happy life. And that's what we're called to do. Jesus just doesn't see my brokenness. He just doesn't see my shame. He just doesn't see the mistakes that I make. He sees what I could be. He sees a healed heart. He sees a fulfilled life. The life that can impact others around them. And this is what Faiths try to do. It's our job to see beyond what is presented, to beyond what their life is, and reignite hope for a life that could be and can be. Call to the broken, the ones that nobody notices. To love them like Jesus has loved them, even how uncomfortable that can be. To live a life beyond ourselves. And mass the guys to come back. And I wonder what our world, I wonder what your world would look like if we all looked past what was in front of us and saw what could be. And it might not always look heroic and spectacular, you know. Um, small choices in the everyday. And Mother Teresa had said this great quote, and she said this, we can all do small things with great love. We can all do small things with great love. And sometimes, you know, we wait for the big opportunities to come by that we miss all the small ones. That may be small to me is a huge difference to the person. I'm showing that too. I honestly believe God is an after rule followers. He wants people who love like he loves, who respond like he responds. And you cannot produce that from a law. Only by an experience of this radical grace. You've heard it said, haven't you? That do unto others as you would have them do to you. I think Paul upgrades this. The apostle Paul upgrades this. To do unto others as Jesus has done for you. We don't love and live beyond ourselves because we have to do great things in order to be saved. But because something great has already been done to save us and the reality is that to love like that takes courage it will be an inconvenience And Martin Luther King Jr. said this about this story the first question the priest and the Levite asked was if I stop to help this man what will happen to me? But the Samaritan asked, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Isn't that the million dollar question? If I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And just as we, we sing a, a final song, I just want you to take a moment, you know, maybe there may be some things that need to be reevaluated in your world at the moment. This is not like a one-off thing. What is stopping you engaging with people? Has life got too fast? Has it got too hectic? Has it got too busy? Let's slow down a little. Let's stop often. Let's talk to people. Let's listen to them. Let's engage with people that may come into contact with that beautiful phrase that Jesus says, on the way. If you notice he had some of his greatest interactions on the way from, on the way to. I'm just coming out of, I'm just going into because he was aware of the world around him. And I realize, you know, that working with children and young people isn't easy, it's draining, it's emotional. But you know what? If you're called into that world of work and that sphere of influence, it's so rewarding. And I really want to pray for you. If this morning you're here and you work in any capacity, with children, young people, whether you work in the areas of social care, whether you work in the NHS, whether you work in some kind of therapy base, whether you're in education, whether you're a foster carer or a guardian, I would like you to stand this morning because I want to pray for you if that's your world of work, if that's where you find yourself, if you're in education, social care, health, public health, foster carers, guardians, if you're youth workers, please stand. I want to pray for you before we finish. And if you're by somebody, just just stand with them and just put a hand on them. all hope carriers in the world that we are, but these guys standing often see some of the most traumatic and hear the most heart-wrenching stories that can be heard. Jesus, I want to thank you for these, these people standing right now. What an awesome, awesome group of people. God in your word says that though you, those you call, you also equip. And Father, I pray for them where they may be feeling tired and drained. Father, where they may be carrying emotional burdens of stories that they hear. Where Father, they may feel frustrated because they cannot do enough to change a the situation. They can't carry enough. There's always one more. There's always something else that could and should have been done. But Father, inside of these guys, an incredible resource of hope and of love, and of compassion. And Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you fill them right now again? That Father, they wouldn't be giving out of dust, but Lord, they'd be giving out of a resource of life, of a flowing river. Lord, your word says, out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Father, I pray that that would be their experience. And Father, for those that work with policy and process and framework, God, I pray for incredible godly wisdom. That, Lord, we would see kingdom principles flow into our communities again. Bless these guys in Jesus' name.